middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say we are wildly unqualified. Some may say that we are only mildly entertaining. I say we are exactly where we need to be, being your counselors, your sports counselors on what, quite frankly, might be the worst week that we've ever had on the show. Not a great weekend for me off the show, but on the field, it could not have gone any worse than it did for Wichita Sports this past weekend. With that, we welcome you into the newest episode of the Keeper of the Games podcast, the only podcast, the only show that we're aware of focusing on sports in and around it of interest to Wichita, Kansas. This is episode number 79. I am Blake Cripps, joined by Tommy Castro. Tommy, I'm actually going to give you the option. Do you want to go in order of worst to best or best to worst on the topics today? I don't think it particularly matters one way or another. I mean, we got to get through all of it at some point in the show. Uh, But I got to tell you, yeah, it was a pretty terrible weekend sports-wise, but it was a great weekend for me personally. So Why is that? um, Well, you you know, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah, no, absolutely. So my wife and um, our baby, uh, they went out of town to visit family this weekend, and they're gone right now. They'll be back on Wednesday. Um, And I miss them. I miss our child. I miss my wife. But it has been amazing to sleep in uh, in bed by to myself, to sleep all night long, to not wow. be woken up. Uh, it's been pretty incredible and pretty restful. So uh, I've enjoyed that for quite a bit. And then on Sunday, uh, because they were gone, I spent the day watching NFL. I watched the Ryder Cup. I watched a little bit of baseball. Um, so although the outcome in you know the football world, at least, wasn't positive, it was nice to just get a full day of watching sports with no interruptions. It was nice to see the Americans not choke like dogs in the oh, Ryder Cup for a change. They were dominant. And I think that this is going to be the start of a dominant era you for think? American golf. Yep, I really because do. Because we've had pretty talented American golfers before that have kind of uh, gagged it sure. up a little bit. I was especially hoping that we would do this, especially after the ladies in the Solheim Cup kind of got a little bit whipped, taken out yeah. to the shed a little bit by the Europeans. So that was really good. Um, yeah, for me, not a great weekend, and this certainly didn't help. What would make my week better, though, is if you followed us on all of our social media platforms. Go and subscribe to the show. The best place, the first place that gets the show each and every week is cogpod.podomatic.com. We post them everywhere. Sometimes it accidentally posts them three times, so what you should do is just listen to each one to make sure that you (laughs) fill out all of your playlist on Spotify or iHeartRadio or Google or all these other platforms that are available. Of course, you can watch the show. Videos are on YouTube. We are on YouTube, Keeper of the Games, facebook.com slash Keeper of the Games. We post it there as well. And we're at CogPod on Twitter. Best handle if you'd like to follow with us, interact with us on social media, cogsports.com. So since Tommy does not have a preference on episode 79, we are going to go from the best to the worst. So our other topics coming up on the show today, Kansas fails in the second half. Kansas State fails in the second half, and the Chiefs fail in the second half. 
Well, they actually failed a lot in the first half as well. But we'll begin today with the Wichita Wind Surge as they were swept out of the uh, AA Central Championship Series. They did not win a game in Arkansas. That means they had to win three straight to win the best of five series to win the inaugural AA Central title. They could not. They were beaten 6-2 to two by the Northwest Arkansas Naturals on Friday night. The Wind Surge finished the regular season with the best record in the AA Central, 69 and 51, but the team that moved from Wichita, uh, Tommy, was much, much better than the team currently in Wichita during this postseason. Yeah, that's what really makes it tough is you get to this part of the season and, you know, major league squads are calling up minor leaguers and you've got a lot of, you know, shifting with the rosters uh, amongst the farm system for all of these teams. And then that's not to make an excuse for the win surge, but, it, you know, you look at the lineup for the playoffs and there are a few names that you recognize throughout the course of the season in Wichita, but there are a few names that I, I didn't recognize whatsoever. Right. And I, I've gone to, you know, a handful of games this year and followed the team pretty closely. So uh, disappointing for sure. Uh, I think what was most disappointing to me about what happened in the playoffs for the win surge was the fact that they didn't they didn't pick up a single win. Um, you know, they, they kind of limped their way to the end of the season uh, by being swept uh, by Northwest Arkansas, who, you know, credit to them. They're a great ball club. Um, One of the games I went to this season was against Northwest uh, Arkansas, and they were they were solid. They're a really good baseball team, Um, you know, and and of course, the Royals have a really good farm system with, you know, some guys that are going to be in the bigs for a long time, I think. Uh, But, you know, at the end of the day, it's our hometown team. Uh, You know, you would have loved to see them at least put up a win, especially that first game inside Riverfront Stadium, the first playoff game in the first season for the win surge. But I, I have no doubt in my mind that we're going to continue to see the wind surge play at a high level. Um, hopefully we see future playoff runs uh, and maybe even a championship. The surge started out strong, a solo home run by Jermaine Palacios in the second, but the surge got a runner thrown out at the plate in the third after the Naturals had tied the game and then it was all the damage really on one swing, Tommy, in the fourth inning, a grand slam for the Naturals. The surge bullpen was actually very, very good in this game. Five innings, just one earned run. Jordan Gore, Cody Funderbark, really good out of the pen. But for the wind surge, just not enough offense at all in this series. And the pitching that had been pretty good, and it was phenomenal, giving up just one run as they clinched their postseason berth just the week before, pitching did not really show up at all in the AA Central. And in the best-of-five format, it's so critical when you are the home team. I'd be interested to hear your opinion on this because this really bit the wingnuts over the years a lot as well. Because you'll recall the Wingnuts, how many Central Division titles did they win? They just stacked them up there at Lawrence Dumont Stadium. But when they got to the postseason, not a lot of uh, American Association championships. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the format where the inferior team gets to play two games at home to start the postseason. And so if you are the road team, the higher-seeded team, you have three straight home games to end the playoffs. It's not that easy to sweep. It's really not that easy to get three wins in a row. Winning two games in a row is very doable, especially when you're the home team. And so if you don't, as the visiting team, the higher seed, if you don't win game one or game two, it's really, really tough to come home, even though you are at home and you've got all the home cooking, all the home fixings. I get that. 
but it is really, really tough to feel like you can sweep anybody. Literally every single baseball team, no matter what level, if it's Bishop Carroll, if it's Wichita State, if it's the Royals, or if it's the Windsurge, you ask them when they're playing a three-game series, which apparently they're going to play six-game series again next year in the minors for whatever reason. But if you play a three-game series, what will every manager tell you? Would you take two out of three? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you win two out of three, you're going to be one of the best teams that's ever played. And so I think the format, and like you said, Tommy, I'm not trying to make an excuse for the win surge. They did not pitch good enough to win. And quite frankly, their offense was not very good either. They scored only two runs in this game. You can't expect to win with only two runs. They gave up the grand slam. They gave up a real big critical hit, and the wind surge did not perform with runners in scoring position in this series. They just didn't. But I do feel like the, the format, I don't know what to do about it because I understand why why they've gone to these six-game mega series. It's to limit travel because of the pandemic. I have a feeling, I don't know if this is good or bad for the game, I have a feeling this might stick long-term, Tommy, just as a way to reduce travel costs and increase margins for the clubs for Major League Baseball, because they're not in the you know they're not in the mode of losing money at the Major League level now that they have Minor League Baseball under their purview. But it you know you would love to see a two-two-one situation where you play two games at home to start the series, which is obviously a huge advantage for the top-seeded team. Then go two on the road, then come one back, but. The economics, even at the AA level, even at the AAA level, make that kind of difficult to pull off. Well, you hit the nail on the head. It all comes down to logistics. It all comes down to revenue uh, and the cost associated with minor league baseball. At the end of the day, uh, and this is not to discount the, the minor league level whatsoever because there are so many different priorities and it's important at a, you know varying you know levels depending on who you are. And that's something but we talked for, about at the beginning of the year. We sure, have to absolutely. judge this team differently right. than we will judge the Royals. But in the biggest way that you can analyze a minor league farm system, it's about developing the players for the big leagues. That's what matters first and foremost, right? Uh, and, and so... Everything else, unfortunately, is secondary to that. That includes pursuing championships. And I'm not saying that that's not important to the players and to the coaching staff. It absolutely is. You know, you you, you think about, um, you know, the coaching staff for the wind surge. Uh, their jobs depend upon whether or not, you know, the, the team is winning. But also they're judged on how they're developing their players for, you know, potentially you know, getting some service in the majors. So my point in that is being, there are not going to be a lot of situations where you're going to see um, things being done in a way that might make more sense for baseball, but less sense for the bottom line. Uh, And so, yeah, it absolutely would be the ideal way, the preferred way. If you did what the majors did in a best of five series and go two games at home for the the top team, then two games at home for the inferior team, and then a deciding game five back at uh, the original, the the home location for the top team. That would make the most sense baseball-wise, but then you're spending a lot more in traveling costs. You're spending a lot more as far as 
you know, getting staffing for that, tickets, all of that, because it, I would imagine that it's a lot more self-contained when you have three games in a row as opposed to potentially two and then sure. a break for two and then one more game to turn everything back on for. So, yeah, again, it's not an excuse for what happened, but yeah, it's difficult when you're the wind surge and you have the best record in the division and you're rewarded by going on the road for the first two games. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in a hole down zero games to two and you got to then win three in a row at home. That's going to be difficult to do. Um, but I guess my point being, I wouldn't anticipate seeing anything like that change in the long run because no. yes, the wind surge, they've got to make money. They've got to be able to show, you know, that they're turning a profit, that they're not losing money, you know, year in and year out. They've got to be developing their players. They've got to be working hand in hand with the, with the major league franchise. And then after that, then you look into the results of the actual baseball game sure. um, where when you go to a twins game, though the number one thing is the success on the field for the team. It's a little bit different in the minors. One thing, Tommy, that you are looking forward to most in the wind surges second season coming up. Obviously this first season, we had to wait so long to finally get it. And I know that for a lot of fans, it was just, okay, we're actually allowed to go and watch the team. It's actually real. It's actually happening. The stadium's great. They're putting on a good product and to just go and get back into the swing of baseball. What's the next step that you want to see either from the wind surge or maybe from the city of Wichita or the fans? What's the next thing? Because I know that it's really important to you that this become not just a Wichita team, but maybe a part of the fabric of the culture of sports here in Wichita becomes an institution the way that, you know, Wichita State basketball has become. The way that Wichita State baseball, the way that, you know, Bishop Carroll football, Derby football, those kinds of things. The have Wichita become. Thunder? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, the Wichita Thunder. Look at all the Central Championships, Central Division Championships they won, Central Hockey League finals that they played in. What's the next step for the wind surge to get to that level or start taking steps to that level? Because, I mean, to be honest, the biggest sample size we have is the regular season. And the regular season, this was a damn good baseball team. Yeah, I, I think it's a give and take. Um, you know, I think that the team has to be committed. Uh, the organization has to be committed. But then the, the the citizens have to be committed. The fans have to be committed as well. Um, I, I talked about it on the show last week about just, you know, really desperately wanting this to work long term <laughs> for the city of Wichita. You desperate? It, it has to. I couldn't it tell. It has to, um, you know, and not just because of the financial investment that's been made, um, but just because of what a successful minor league franchise with a downtown ballpark can do for a city. I think about what uh, Oklahoma City, what the Dodgers have done with the Bricktown ballpark over the course of that time. And that's been sort of that's kind of the ballpark is the hub of kind of a entertainment district for Oklahoma City. And that's what uh, Mayor I think, Longwell had envisioned around. Yep. And, and I know that that's been delayed somewhat because of coronavirus. But I I mean, I don't know. Maybe, you know, more than I do, but. From my knowledge, you know, there's still more. I always know more than you do. Well, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> I won't give you a hot take horn on that. But my my understanding is that's still part of the plan around yeah. the stadium and around the Delano district. 
Yeah, th- there was nothing more fun than going to a game. And this actually, I did this the the last game I attended, uh, which was probably three weeks ago. Um, I met a buddy after work at the Monarch in Delano. Yeah. And huh? we, you know, had a sandwich and we had a couple of beers. Sure. And then we walked to the ballpark, you know, maybe 200 yards away from the back patio of the Monarch. And I thought, this is, this is amazing. And if only this entire <laughs> district could be developed around this, you know, you've got the... You've got the Delano district to the north, but everything else surrounding it, I think you've got an opportunity here, you know, for it to be, you know, big time for Wichita, but it's got to come down to community support. There can't be a scenario where now that the first season is under our belts and, you know, maybe the honeymoon phase is over with or the shine has worn off a little bit. I think it might take a little bit longer than just one year. But we've got to have the fan support long term coming out to the games, supporting the team, recognizing that this is not even if you're not a baseball fan, this isn't just important to baseball fans. This is important to the fabric of the community and long term what this can do economically and culturally for the city of Wichita. So that's why it's really important to me that, you know, whether or not the team is successful doesn't particularly matter. It does, but it doesn't because minor league sports is so much more or should be so much more than just the actual game. It's entertainment. It's, you know, it should be affordable. It should be accessible. Uh, it, It should be something that, you know, even if you've never watched a baseball game in your entire life, you come away from it saying, I had a really good time. I may not have known what was going on, but I had a really good time. Yeah. That's what needs to happen. And that's community support, number one. But then it's kind of a two-part answer because I also feel like, and and I'd love to get your thoughts on this too, I I really believe that in the first season, the wind surge, they they experimented with some different things to see what would work. I think they were siloed in some areas where, you know, yeah, they had some community partners, but they were probably a little bit limited on what they could or couldn't do, you know, depending on it's the first season, we have to kind of be conservative on the way that we approach things. I would love to see some really dynamic partnerships that the wind surge is able to develop in season number two, some really neat outreach opportunities. You know, uh, this is, I'm I'm trying, I don't want to be critical of the wind surge because I loved the games that I attended. Uh, I loved the experience there. Um, You know, but I'll, I'll be completely frank. I'm a partial season ticket holder and I never spoke to anybody from the wind surge at all during the entire season. There was nobody ever checking in to see how it was going. If there was anything that they could do, maybe I would want to buy more tickets. Maybe I would want to increase my, you know, my, my schedule. There was never any sort of communication and I'm sure that they, that the staff has a lot going on, but I, if the community is going to be expected to support the franchise, then the franchise needs to support the community. And so it's kind of a give and take. It's a two way street. I think it can be done. I hope it can be done. Uh, but, and I'm optimistic for the future. The Wichita wind surge going to open things back up on April the 8th in 2022 against Tulsa. Again, they're doing the six game series. I would love to see them involved more in the community, Tommy. I would love to see the Wichita Wind Surge get involved with some youth baseball, with sure. some of the collegiate teams, with Wichita State. They let the Shockers come and play. I'd love to see them get involved with friends, with Newman University, high school teams, uh, maybe even League 42. I think they pro- I think they did some stuff with League 42, but just to bring those in, youth softball leagues, Wichita State softball, I think that there is there are chances to make those connections where you can get some of those crossover fans that are already watching Diamond Sports yeah. and introduce them to the wind surge 
to the stadium and to the fact that, hey, you know, man, I ain't got nothing to do on this Friday night. Yeah, maybe we ought to go down and see what the wind surge are up to on this Friday. So I, I think those are the opportunities that they need to take advantage of. We'll see how things work out. Monday's off again next year, except for July 4th. The AA Central Minor League Baseball again going back to those six-game series for yet another season. Kind of unexpected, but that's what they're going with for 2022. And just before we move on, a big congratulations to former wind surge infielder and my favorite player from early in the season, Jose Miranda, who was named the Twins Minor League Player of the Year uh, on Monday. Nice. I mean, he had a breakout year. He hit 342 with an on-base percentage of 400, slugging 568. He had an OPS of 968, and he hit 29 home runs this year. Uh, you, When I watched him in early in the season, the first several games, just the the way that the guy hit the baseball. Number one, I thought he's not going to be in Wichita for very long. Uh, and he number wasn't. two, I he wasn't. And you know he's a, he's in St. Paul now. Um, but then it was also this guy's going to make an impact for the Twins. Um, and and it won't be very long before we see him in in the bigs. So congratulations to Jose Miranda. He was fun to watch. We continue on our weekend of failure, going to the next <laughs> best thing, the next least worst thing. And that was the University of Kansas Jayhawks utterly failing in the second half. Wow, but you're ranking the, that as the next least worst thing? I, I am, and I will tell you why when we get to the next worst things. Uh, okay. The Jayhawks losing 52-33 at the Duke Blue Devils, which means that the Jayhawks are probably not winning another game this year. Duke goes to 3-1, and one, but the Jayhawks in the first half gave you reasons to hope outscoring Duke. 21 to 14 in the second quarter. A lot of positive things to come out of this game, Tommy. Devin Neal, a bit of an epiphany for KU with 17 rushes, 107 yards for the touchdown. Jason Bean threw for 323 yards. The volume was good. The bad, he did throw it to the Blue Devils twice. Trevor Wilson had five catches for 122 yards. Kwame Lasseter went four for 99 yards. And Tory Lachlan had two surprise touchdowns. The Jayhawks rolled up 530. 30 yards of offense. When's the last time they did that to a team that's not named Oklahoma? But Duke outscored KU 21-3 in the third, 31-9 in the second half. And defensively, KU does not have it figured out. Duke ran the ball 52 times for 279 yards. And I thought maybe the biggest play of the game, Tommy, was the 62-yard run that KU got early in the second half, very early in the third quarter, by Devin Neal, but KU only gets three points out of it. KU did not score again until the 8.42 mark in the fourth. I think if you get a touchdown there, there's a big momentum swing. You're taking a double-digit lead. KU led at the half 24-21, so you're going ahead 30-21. You have a big play, and you do not get six. Duke ended up piling up 600 yards of offense, and let's be honest, KU's tackling was amateur hour in the second half. But I thought that there was an opportunity to continue the momentum, and after KU was held to three there, it was all Blue Devils for about the next 20 minutes of football. Yeah, my biggest takeaways uh, with this game is that, number one, um, I, I really think that the Jayhawks' offense is for real. Um, and I think even, that it's going— Even if it's just Duke? Yeah, I mean, I think that we've, we've seen them be, be able to move the ball down the field pretty much this entire season, for the most part. Um, 
they're not winning. As they've uh, made a lot of points. They've made a lot, but times. they. But I, I like where it's headed. Um, I That's like fair. the improvement offensively. Um, and I think it, it obviously starts with Jason Bean. This guy has been a revelation at quarterback. I know he threw a couple of interceptions in the game against Duke, but he's dynamic. And he's able to have the competency to lead the team down the field. Now, they need to convert more often than what they've shown this season. Uh, but... I would challenge anyone to tell me that any of the other options at quarterback for Kansas could do remotely close to what Jason Bean has done over the course of the first four games this season for Kansas. I just don't think that that's the reality with the other quarterbacks in the QB room for the Jayhawks. I think that Jason Bean has solidified himself as the guy. And that wasn't that was never a question, but I think he he truly has solidified himself as the best option that the Jayhawks have this year and and probably next year as well. Probably next year. He's got some weapons. Um, I think Devin Neal has been a revelation. Tory Lachlan coming coming in from the dead. I didn't even know Tory Lachlan was still on the team. On the team, (laughs) running the ball seven times for forty-seven yards and a TD. One catch for 20 yards. That was a TD catch. God bless him. That was awesome. It was uh, awesome. You know, so I will Kansas put up 33 points against Big 12 defenses? Probably not. But I do think that the Kansas offense is moving in the right direction. That's encouraging to me. Um, I appreciate that. And I'm going to hang my hat on that. Because on the other side. hang your hat on that. Because on the other side of the ball, it is an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> and yes, it is. Here's the thing, Blake. This isn't a surprise. This should not catch anybody off guard. No, it's it's really not. Five weeks ago, I think it was five weeks ago. You we said that did, this was going to happen. I did. We did our college football preview. We previewed the Jayhawks. And I said, Kansas will have the worst defense in the Big 12. They will give up so many yards. They'll have they the are. worst defense, not only in the Big 12, but the worst defense in America. <laughs> They've proven that to be true. And it, honestly, Blake, I don't blame them. Like, it's not something that I think, oh, my God, like these guys are, you know, they're worthless and whatever. They're just overmatched. They're overmatched with everyone. They don't have the size. They don't have the strength. They don't have the speed. They don't have the conditioning. The they technique. don't have... The technique, they don't have any of the metrics that you need to line up against not only Big 12 opponents, but opponents like the Duke Blue Devils and the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers. They don't have the the dogs to be able to go for four quarters. Now, my caveat to that is that you watch pretty much any game so far this season. The Jayhawks defense They've done admirably early on in the game. And then would, it's some yeah. and then it's something about the second half, and that's why I go down to the conditioning, the size, the strength. They don't have the stamina to last the entire game. I don't have this stat in front of me, but I would from just my viewing of the games, uh, I would love to know how Kansas has been outscored by their opponents in the third and fourth quarters. 
compared oh, to the first Baylor half of games. ran a semi over KU in the second yeah. half of that game. As yeah. did Coastal Carolina. Look at the halftime scores of all these games. Yeah. Haven't they been all between like one and yeah. two scores? Sure. For all of yeah. them? And then yep. the final score is like a thousand to nothing. Yeah. So yeah, it's the second half that's the problem. Do you remember when Samaje P. Ryan was at Oklahoma? And he sure. ran for like four thousand yards against KU was over 400 like I think it was 435 the most that KU's ever given up on the ground to a single running back yeah I'm worried that Brees Hall is going to do that on Saturday mm. Brees Hall might crack five bills against KU on Saturday because they're pissed off because the Cyclones lost to Baylor so I yeah. think that they are going to come in and absolutely well they're not going to come in KU's going to go there and they're going to get KU back on the bus and they're going to run the ball down KU's throat I think Kansas State might crack 400 against these guys as well because the Hawks cannot stop the run. Are you concerned at all about the coaching? Because what do we say about adjustments after halftime? Andy Reid gets all the credit in the world, and we'll get to him in a minute, talking about the Chiefs and the adjustments they made to give themselves a chance in their game. But adjustments after halftime are a sign of coaching. The attitude and the body language from what I've seen, from what I've listened to on the radio – Coach Leopold mentioned it after the game in his post game that he feels like it's all positive. And I don't disagree with that. I don't discount that at all. But KU has been awful in the second half of these games. And we typically say that's when your adjustments come in. You got 20 minutes in halftime to make adjustments. KU has not made the right adjustments after halftime. Either that or. As you've mentioned, there's a serious conditioning issue on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, let's be honest, the offense wasn't very good outside of that one drive. What did KU do offensively in the third quarter of that game? Really nothing. And that's when you're playing anti-complementary football. When you have a defense that doesn't play well in the second half, you have an offense that goes three and out all the time after one long drive. The defense comes out, they're already tired, and it's just a self-fulfilling, vicious cycle, and that's what leads to, you know, what was it, a like 21 nothing run for Duke, and what all of a sudden was a three-point lead and a six-point lead turns into 52 points for the Blue Devils. Yeah, I, and look, I, I don't know schemes and coaching well enough to be able to tell you definitively that it's an adjustment issue. And it's way early in the Leipold era. Right. Way early. And I get everything you already said that they don't have the guys. They got to, I mean, he didn't really even get to recruit any of these players. I totally understand all that. It's a fair point. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think, and I'm not comfortable saying, yeah, they're just not adjusting the way that they need to at halftime. I just go back to, you know, saying they don't have the personnel to be able to match that, up. That, that's fair. To be able to match up on defense and even on offense to an extent, but primarily defense for 60 minutes. Maybe they can for 30 minutes but they can't for 60 minutes. No. And that's going to come, in my opinion. I believe it's going to come. Uh, the reason that I believe that is because I've seen markedly improved uh, improvement from beginning to now, in my opinion. Uh, and so I, I, I want to continue to watch it. It's going to be brutal for a while. There's no doubt about that, but it's not a surprise. We knew that coming into the season. We've known that for the last decade. It's going to be rough. And Kansas, uh, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Kansas going on the road to Iowa State, FS1, 6 o'clock on Saturday. I am, listen, I'm the biggest crimson and blue football fan there is. I'm predicting a bloodbath. Well, and, you know, 
The, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's going to absolutely be the case because, um, I don't know, I've got egg on my face for crowning Iowa State as the Big 12 champions well, at the beginning hey, of the you know, season. I wasn't that far in off the limb from you. I picked them to win the league as well. Yeah. However, um, um, talking about the Big 12 in general, Oklahoma doesn't exactly look like the national championship of Bob Stoops Day no. as they barely escaped West Virginia on a field goal in Norman. So let's not go ahead and, and crown Oklahoma as the greatest thing ever because no. they look vulnerable right now. Yeah, they're struggling big time. And Lincoln Riley, I, I think, knows that, um, you know, and, and isn't thrilled about the way that the Sooners are, are performing. Be thrilled. And, and here's the other thing, too, is that, you know, you look at the Big 12, and I hate to say it because I was down on them before the season started. I think Texas is the best looking team in the big 12 right now. <laughs> they uh, rushed Texas. Tech oh my God. They Saturday. ran all over the red Raiders. Um, you know, I think Oklahoma said looks they vulnerable. Had no I mean, so they had no chance. chance. Uh, not at all. I didn't think that Steve Sarkeesian's first year, he would have any chance to make any noise whatsoever. Um, I know it's early in the season, but he's proven me wrong. OU looks vulnerable and Iowa state has lost a couple of games. You yeah. know, the one against Iowa and then against Baylor for sure. So, uh, yeah, but, but to your point about the, the bloodbath, uh, Iowa State has got to be pissed off. Matt Campbell oh has got to be the most unhappy man in the Midwest, and they're going to let it all out against the Jayhawks this on Saturday. This was their year. Yeah. This, this was the year. And honestly, you look at how Oklahoma's playing, you have to look at Iowa State and say, they can get that team. Yeah. Oklahoma's a very gettable team. You lose the Cyhawk. Iowa's the number five team in the country. Who cares? You right. lost Iowa. Iowa State loses to Iowa 90% of the time, whatever. Yeah. You can't lose that. That Baylor team, I mean, I have a – I haven't watched a ton of Iowa State. Maybe Iowa State is just all smoke and mirrors and, and not actually good at football. But I cannot imagine that I'm going to look at Iowa State and say, oh, yeah, Baylor beats them by three all day. I, yeah. Maybe, no. maybe I'm wrong. We'll, we'll see. I will be watching the game well, on Saturday. You know, I, I know it's sure. dangerous to always, you know, take – and I, I hate it when people do, well, this team beat this team and this team beat this team. Oh, so yes. that means this one be – The additive property. Right. But – uh, if we're going to use that property, Baylor beat Kansas 45 to seven. Baylor beat Iowa State by three. I think Iowa State can beat Kansas by 50. If oh, not more. Yeah, I, th I think that they will have some motivation to do so as well. Once again, if you want to catch it, I'm probably not going to. I don't think I have the stomach to watch it live. I'll be watching on the tape delay, but uh, FS1, 6 p.m. on Saturday. The next, now we're getting into the bottom two of the worst things that happened. On Saturday, in our listening area, Kansas State felling, uh, falling out of the top 25 just as quickly as they fell into the top 25, and a 31-20 loss to Oklahoma State in Stillwater on Saturday. Kansas State led 3-0 and 10-7, following Malik Knowles' 98-yard romp into the end zone on a kickoff return for a touchdown, but it was the Kansas State defense and a horrible, absolutely god-awful turnover that really put the Cats on their heels. OSU went on a 21 to nothing run in the first and second quarter over a seven-and-a-half-minute span. OSU plowed down the field in their next drive after Kansas State took the lead. Then Knowles got stuck at the seven-yard line on his next kickoff return. Will Howard fumbles the ensuing snap into the end zone where the boys recovered. Howard hurt on the play, returned for a series in the second half. It was mostly Jaron Lewis after that. Another easing scoring drive for OSU made it 28-10. They eventually led 31-10, 
31-13 at the half. And Kansas State defensively, you know, I said that it was some of their blame. I'm going to take that back. It, it really wasn't Kansas State's fault, to be quite honest. They shut Oklahoma State out in the second half, and that was still not good enough. Kansas State getting one touchdown in the third quarter to lose at 31-20. This was worse than KU for a couple of reasons. First, you lost Will Howard. Will Howard is your second-best quarterback, by far, in my opinion. Lewis is not the guy, and we don't know if Howard's going to be back or what his situation is, what it looks like, but he apparently is just as injury-prone as Skylar Thompson. And number two, we it was the same reason you just talked about, Tommy. The Kansas State season means more. KU's bad. There's nothing anybody can do about it. Kansas State had aspirations of reclaiming a top 25 spot this year, of being a top three team in the Big 12. That was in their grasp. If they beat Oklahoma State, they're probably inside the top 20 today. And quite frankly, watching that football game, Oklahoma State wasn't really that good. Kansas State made some critical errors. Oklahoma State took advantage in the offense. Despite the defense turning things completely around in the second half and shutting them out, they did not have anything that really made me feel like Oklahoma State was really going to even be threatened in the fourth quarter. They had a nice drive in the third, but in the fourth, watching that game, just watching the play calling, I thought, they're not going to win this game. They don't have any way to stretch Oklahoma State or make them feel threatened at all. Oklahoma State gets to win by 11 points. Wildly disappointing, considering that you have the second best running back in the Big 12 in Deuce Vaughn behind Brees Hall, and you couldn't get him going. 13 attempts, 22 yards on the ground. He averaged 1.7 yards per carry in that game. He should be the threat. You, You just mentioned Kansas State had nothing that they could do to threaten Oklahoma State whatsoever on the offensive side of the ball. And I recognize that you're down to your third string quarterback at this time, but you have a, you should have a legitimate threat in Deuce Vaughn. Now, I recognize that defenses are going to zero in on him, especially considering that there aren't a whole lot of other weapons otherwise. And I do have to give Deuce Vaughn a little bit of credit. He did, I think he caught the ball seven times, I'm sorry, five times for 73 yards and a touchdown. So he was effective somewhat in the passing game. But Deuce Vaughn is a running back, and he's a damn good running back. And the fact that Chris Kleiman couldn't get him going, for whatever reason, is unacceptable. And that's a bad look for the Wildcats as the Big 12 season continues, especially with question marks around the passing game in Manhattan. You've got to rely on Deuce Vaughn. Now, maybe he just wasn't effective because of the scheme that Oklahoma State set up defensively against him. Maybe he wasn't effective because, I don't know, there's a myriad of reasons as to why he 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 didn't have a Deuce Vaughn-like game. I got game. a reason. What's your reason? My reason is, look at the wide receiving core. Deuce Vaughn, again, was the best receiving option for Kansas State. And let's be honest, 55 of those yards came on one play for the touchdown. He had five catches for 73 yards otherwise. Who else is on this team to catch the football? Malik Knowles had three balls, maybe more. I don't want to be too critical. It looked like he had three balls that were just flat-out drops. I know people are going to get on the quarterbacks Say Jaron Lewis wasn't good. 10 of 19 interception. Will Howard was 4 of 12. He was awful. There were a lot of balls that were catchable. And when you have the quarterback come in, 
that's not your top guy, and everybody understands that Will Howard's not the top guy, and Jared Lewis sure as hell ain't the top guy, your wide receivers have got to make you a couple of plays. And quite frankly, I thought that there were a number of plays, a number of situations where the line protected well enough and that the receivers just honestly could not get open. Daniel but but see, I'm... I'm going to disagree with you a little bit here because when you've got your second or third string quarterback in there, I know people always criticize a football team being one dimensional and relying too much on one facet of the offense. But when, when your star is the running back and you have your third string quarterback in and you have wide receivers that are either ineffective or, or you can't trust them, then throw the game plan out the window, stop being balanced and give the football to your workhorse. Give your football, give the football to the guy that you know can, can create plays. He's a playmaker. He's dynamic in the backfield. Why are you having your third string quarterback throw the football to receivers who are going to drop the pass? Just give the damn ball to Deuce Vaughn and let him do his thing. And that, you know, the fact that Deuce Vaughn only had 13 touches in this game is criminal. It's criminal. Kansas State football teams historically have been built on solid defense and typically a pretty solid running game. Now that could be with the quarterback or any combination of running backs. Klein but and Michael Bishop would, would beg to differ. I hear them on the other line. But I'm just saying like that that's what the foundation of those Absolutely. Bill Snyder successful teams were built on. The fact that you, again, I'm, I'm going to say it again. The fact that you have the second best running back in the Big 12 and he's only getting the ball 13 times and he can never really get going and you would rather have your third string quarterback throw the football around doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. I thought that the play calling at times in the second half was pretty rough. You know, there was a series that they they got a pretty decent gain on, you know, like they had a, a motion of a wide receiver and they ran kind of an end around and got about seven and then they ran like the exact same play and got two. And then they ran like the flip of that play and got minus one. Yeah. So, like I, th- I thought, thought the play calling was kind of rough. Um, they, they got a little bit of lucky. I, I thought the targeting was was pretty soft. And listen, there are a lot of Kansas State fans who are on social media. I was reading and say, oh, this isn't targeting. It was targeting. I, the, what I will say in Kansas State fans' defense is there's literally no fan on the planet that wants that targeting, that play, that call called on their team. Because, quite frankly, he is, he is trying to make a football play. He is 100%. He is not launching with the intent of trying to lay this guy out. It, you know, for me, it, it can't, that can't be targeted. It just cannot be targeting where you're taking guys out of the game. That play has to be allowed or at least not get guys suspended out of the game. Um, and that out-of-bounds call on that reception by Oklahoma State in the second half was, quite frankly, horrendous. I have no idea how you could look at that freeze frame and say that he was inbounds and say, oh, well, the call stands. That was that was a horrible injustice. I uh, give credit to Nick Allen. He came in with 10 tackles after Daniel Green was uh, ejected in the first half, played really well defensively. Um, but, yeah, for, for Kansas State, play calling was rough, wide receivers was rough, and it's not really due to get much better as, as things progress. Yeah, no, it's really not. And, you know, we talked about uh, Iowa State taking out their frustrations on Kansas. Um, I I mean, I think the Sooners are going to take out their frustration on the Wildcats this weekend. I know the game is in Manhattan, but no chance. um, 
Uh, They've beaten them two years in a row. Yeah, but I mean, I just don't think that with the the struggles from last week offensively, uh, I just don't. I don't like the Wildcats' chances in this. Could they do it? Sure, um, you know. But I could also get struck by lightning twice in a row. I just don't really see that happening either. So I don't know. I you know, I Wildcat fans are going to say they're they're beatable more so than ever. We beat them when they were a better team. Defense they're not as good of a team really now. Two, two two really good halves of football in the second half. But I, I I like the Sooners to bounce back from the last couple of weeks to find their way a little bit. Um, you know, I I think that they'll end up beating the Wildcats. It's a big kickoff, 2.30 p.m. on Fox Hall of Fame weekend up there in Manhattan. As we mentioned earlier, Oklahoma looked pretty darn ordinary against the Mountaineers of West Virginia. We now go to the final segment of the program, the absolute 100% undoubted worst thing that happened over the weekend in Wichita area sports was... The Kansas City Chiefs losing to the Chargers in a horrific offensive performance in the first half. Three points, boys and girls. That's what the Chiefs scored in the first half. The Chiefs defense had a bad second quarter, Tommy, and they didn't have a great fourth quarter, but the Chiefs scored three, three points in the first half. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had another fumble. Tyreek Hill lost a fumble. Travis Kelsey... All credit to him. He's a man among boys, but Patrick Mahomes threw two interceptions, including another huge second-half interception that changed the course of the game on a pickup by Haloe Gilman. Where do you want to start with this one? Justin Herbert was solid. He was 26-38, 281, four touchdowns, no picks. You said that he was going to be a good quarterback in this league. It turns out that that is going to be the case. And the Chiefs' run game, you would have thought – that in this game, the Chiefs probably couldn't run the ball worth a lick. They got the running game going. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, 17 for 100, 30 carries, 186 yards. But defensively, they could not stop Mike Williams. The four turnovers, too many missed opportunities for Kansas City to come back from. Such an incredibly disappointing result these last two weeks. I tweeted out, Tommy, this team is equally and mystifyingly close to being both 0-3 and 3-0. I can't explain it. Where do you even want to start on on this Chiefs-Chargers game? Well, here's the thing. I I want to start with an overall look at this, at this team, first and foremost. We have been conditioned as Kansas City Chiefs fans that Patrick Mahomes is superhuman. Yes. We've been conditioned that it doesn't matter the deficit the Chiefs will find a way to win. That's not reality. That's not long-term reality. That's not sustainable reality. It never has been, and it never will be. Uh, The fact, and I go back to the Super Bowl winning season, the fact that throughout that playoff run, every single game, the Chiefs had to come from behind and, you know, miraculously win the game. That's not sustainable long-term. I don't care if you're Patrick Mahomes or not. It's not sustainable long-term. This is not a knock on Patrick Mahomes. He is a -a once-in-a-generation quarterback. Uh, But you have got to find ways to win games without having to rely on Patrick Mahomes doing something superhuman. Uh, Because you put so much pressure on his shoulders, and we've seen it the last two weeks, he throws interceptions at the end of the game. 
Uh, well, is that fair, though, this week? I mean, like I said, the Chiefs had a really good running game. The Chiefs played great defensively to start the game. They gave up 14 points in the second, and they had, you know, there was some misfires defensively in the fourth quarter. But for three quarters of the game, I think you said if the Chiefs gave up 14 points through three quarters, that's pretty good. And the Chiefs ran the ball for 186 yards. Isn't that, doesn't that qualify as yeah. help? I mean, look, like I, I don't think that this this is not a bad football team. This is this is a the the Chiefs team talent wise that, and I think in some areas they are even improved from a year ago. I thought that at least to start the game defensively, the Chiefs were better than we saw against the Ravens. They were better than we saw against the Browns in Week One. Uh, you know, especially that very first series, the defense was fired up. They forced the Chargers into a three and out situation. They were jumping all over the field. They, I mean, the the defense looked more energized. And really, I think they did throughout most of the game. The issue became the turnovers. And everybody's going to talk about that left and right. Eric Bieniemy talked about that, uh, you know, earlier this week about how the team is where they are because of the turnovers. You can't turn the ball over four times and no. expect to win. The fact that the Chiefs were able to go up by three in the second half, despite the three or the four turnovers, shows how talented of a football team they truly are. But it's, you know, again, it's not it's not just Patrick Mahomes. It's, it's not. not just his two interceptions. It's the the fumble by Clyde Edwards E. Lair. It's the fumble by Tyreek Hill. It's, you know, the, the everybody has to share in that a little bit and I think I I don't think this is I don't think it's too bold to say the Chiefs were the better team at halftime and they were down 14 to 3 because they gave the ball back to the Chargers each and every time and that just you that's not you can't do that in the National Football League Uh, so at the end of the day uh, that's the major thing I think you have to clean up well, yeah, it's now become kind of a multi-week problem for yeah. Kansas City because you had a big crippling interception. And then obviously, I think you and I both agree, if Clyde Edwards-Hilaire doesn't fumble that ball, the Chiefs probably find a way to win that game last week. And so, yeah, four turnovers is going – if the turnover problem continues, this is going to be a really, really disappointing season for Kansas City. And, and I want to address something here uh, that I saw all over social media on Sunday after the game was over with. What's that. that? I think is the most asinine and ridiculous take when it comes to the Chiefs that I've seen in a long time. I can't wait to hear this. Kansas City fans, and and I'm guilty of this from time to time, Kansas City fans love to make excuses. They love to throw all the crap at the referees anytime something doesn't go their way. And I'm sure that that's the way that it is with fans of every team in the National Football League. Sure. But all I saw after the Chiefs lost were people criticizing the no call for pass interference on the Hail Mary to end the game and how I think it was Travis Kelsey being pulled down to the ground and the ball falling to the turf and and no flag on that. That happens all the time, even though it should have been flagged, but that happens all the time. But the point is, and I, I, I made this point on Twitter replying to a friend of mine that uh, you know, just went on and on about how terrible of a non-call it was and how the refs are a joke and blah, blah, blah. If you're mad about that, you're missing the point about what's wrong with this team right now. 
that I'm I'm just as pissed off as anybody, but not at the referees and about the fact that we were in that position anyway to begin with. The fact that the team even had to worry about a Hail Mary when that's the problem. And it's not about the referees calling or not calling something. It's about the fact that you were down in that position at the end of the game in the first place. And it was entirely self-inflicted, entirely self-inflicted. With the you know with the interceptions by Mahomes and the fumbles, it was entirely self. These two losses, if the Chiefs don't turn the ball over in that interception fumble last week, if they turn it over half as much this week, we're talking about a three and O team probably, probably a three and O team. So it's and that's what makes it even more frustrating is that it's entirely self inflicted and preventable. And you know what? And, and I'm. I'm gonna put I'm gonna put my friend on on blast here a little bit. And David, I love you. You're and I don't even know if you listen to the podcast. If you do, uh, I'm sorry for putting you on blast. Uh, but he had tweeted, you know, uh, uh, I think it was a video in slow motion of the no call. And you know, I responded and I said I'm not mad about it. Should have never been in that position in the first place. His re- I'm gonna I'm gonna read you verbatim our conversation here. Sure. He said no passion then. Could have been another comeback win for the record books, like half of our Super Bowl winning seasons. Not mad about it means you're good with the Super Bowl loss against the 49ers because we played like crap the first half. My response to that was, no, we not mad at... so uh, he doesn't even know what he's talking We yeah. lost to the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. So, so I said, no, nah, not mad about it means that pinpointing a desperation play at the end of the game is the source of the complaints, misses the point of why the team is sitting at one and two. I didn't say I wasn't mad at all because I'm pissed. I'm just not mad at the refs on a last second Hail Mary. Which That's not the reason why you should be mad. Literally like, what, 85% of the time that exactly. doesn't get called? And yeah. you can bet that if it was the reverse and the Chiefs got called for pass interference, they would be crying bloody hell oh, sure. in Kansas City. And maybe deservedly so. I'm not saying – the one thing I will say is I was listening to this game on the Chiefs radio network. Mitch Holtis did not even mention it. It was unmentioned in his yep. play-by-play that there was pass interference or the possibility. He just said he called it incomplete, Chargers win, final score – Post game sponsored by whoever and whatever. So was it even worth for him, the voice of the Chiefs, to bring up? Because I think he does get the big picture. This is a team that does not have to reduce itself to begging for calls on Hail Marys at the end of the game. This is a team that must hold itself to a higher standard offensively and, you know, I'm, I'm not even going to blame the defense for this loss, honestly. The defense, you get a pass this week. You, The Chiefs, in order to win this year, must hold themselves to a higher standard offensively when it comes to taking care of the football because yep. they have not done that the last two weeks, and it's been the chief reason. I know that you think that the defense – I don't want to get into last week. I know you think the defense played bad last week, and I don't disagree. But the chief reason – is that the, the the Chiefs are struggling right now is because they are coughing up the football yep. too much. And, and, and you know, I, I do think that the one area that the Chiefs offensively have really improved their game night and day is offensive line. I think that rebuilt O-line is significantly better than it was a season ago. I don't feel like... Mahomes is running for his life quite as much behind the line of scrimmage as what we saw last season. Uh, But that being said, it makes me wonder if, you know, he's trying to do too much. Uh, You know, 
there is, and I want to cut Patrick Mahomes a little bit of slack here. You should. There, there is a overwhelming amount of pressure on this guy's shoulders. He's got the hopes and dreams of this franchise, and he has since day one, and that's not going to change anytime soon. And he has and part of it. me, and he has welcomed it, and, and not and complained at he all. He doesn't shy away from it. But part of me wonders if, when you're a Patrick Mahomes and you see your highlights week in and week out on ESPN and ever all the crazy, amazing, wild things that you do. If you feel a responsibility or an expectation to one up yourself every single time, I don't think it's that. I think even going back to the interception last week, I don't think that it's that at all. I couldn't disagree more, actually. What I think okay. it is, and you're, I don't think you're that far off. I think what it is is just confidence. He goes in and says, you know, nobody else in the world can do this, but I can do this because I'm Patrick freaking Mahomes. I could do this. I've done this. I've thrown the ball left-handed for a first down. Why can't I do that? I've thrown off the back foot 99 yards for the touchdown, hit the guy. See that on the camera? Boom, right there in stride. I've done right. that. I'm Patrick right. Mahomes. Who are you to tell me that I can't do anything? Which, I mean, I agree. Who are me and Tommy to tell him he can't do anything? True. But that doesn't mean that he just shouldn't have knowledge of the time and score. And b believe me, if this is coming off as Patrick Mahomes is a bum, get rid of him. No, not at all. Please, yeah, hire a sniper to come through through this window here and put me out of my – because that is not <laughs> what I mean. But here's That's the not thing. not what I mean. Here's the thing. Uh, you're absolutely right. The, the, the problem is when you watch full Chiefs games week in and week out, there are there have been plenty of plays over the four years that Patrick Mahomes has been quarterback that he's made a crazy move or thrown a crazy looking pass and it hasn't been completed. And that's okay. And you go back to the huddle and you you do it again. The highlights are obviously the ones that are completed, they go for touchdowns, whatever. This is the first year that those passes that are not being completed are actually kind of hurting the team. That's Turn, never yeah, happened before. It's never happened before this way. Uh, and so this is uncharted territory for Patrick Mahomes. And I'm kind of excited to see how he responds to it. He's sure. the leader. He's the unquestioned leader. And things have been, I don't want to say easy for Patrick Mahomes because nothing's easy in the National Football League. But, you know, he has shown himself to be the best player in the damn world week yeah. in and week out. Not a ton of adversity. Uh, I think the first time there was really, truly adversity was the Super Bowl loss. I don't even count the AFC Championship loss Just because two, it wasn't three that years ago. Because there wasn't that expectation there. Uh, I think the first adversity was the Super Bowl loss. And now he's encountering, for the first time ever, some regular season adversity in consecutive weeks. So how does he respond? How does the team respond? I'm excited to see what they do. Kansas City playing the Philadelphia Eagles noon on CBS. This will be a road trip for Kansas City. The Eagles playing their third game, actually, as we're recording this on Monday night, as you are watching or listening this to this on Tuesday, they've got Monday Night Football tonight at the Cowboys of Dallas. So that is our show. We well, went hey, from the, the best on. thing that happened to the hold worst on. thing that happened. Hold you got on. one more thing, Tommy? Hold on. I mean, we can't, we can't move away from the Chiefs. You want to talk about Andy Reid? 
No, oh, well, obviously, yeah. Uh, let Thoughts me mention and, Andy Reid real quick, yeah. and I'll let you get to it. Adam Schefter, uh, Andy Reid has missed some of his press conferences. He was actually taken to the hospital. It's yeah. just a precaution. Chiefs have uh, have come out with a statement that it was just a precautionary measure. He was feeling sick, but in good spirits after the game, and a no, haha, was an illness because of how the Chiefs were playing. Right. Um, he is expected to make his normal media appearance before the media on Wednesday ahead of the uh, the road trip to Philadelphia. So apparently all is well. Obviously, you know, there's no bigger fan of Andy Reid on this pro in the world than the people on this program. So we're really yeah. excited to see Andy Reid back. But what's what's your addition here? Uh, the addition yeah. segment's coming up. Well, but it's about the Chiefs, and so I don't feel like Fair we enough. can move away uh, until we talk about this. And I, I'm, I'm surprised. Maybe you didn't see it today. Uh, but the Chiefs, according to sources are going to sign Josh Gordon to come in and be a wide receiver for the Chiefs. He has been reinstated. Oh, I did not see that. He has been reinstated by the NFL, according to Adam Schefter and other league sources. Uh, as soon as he is reinstated, which I believe he officially has been, he intends to sign with the Kansas City Chiefs, which in well, yeah, my just, mind... Just broke about three hours ago. I yeah, see that now. Which in my mind tells me all that I need to know about how Kansas City feels about the wide receivers behind Tyreek Hill. Um, tells me all I need to know about Nicole Hardman, about Demarcus Robinson, about Byron Pringle, about Marcus Kemp. Marcus Kemp had a big drop uh, on, on Sunday's game that was, you know, pretty brutal. Um, you know, so uh, I don't know. Your thoughts on Josh Gordon coming to Kansas City? My, the biggest thought that I have, it shows me how serious the front office is about staying competitive. They they are willing to stretch a little bit. They're willing to go in a different direction, think outside of the box. And there have been a lot of guys who have said that, you know, Gordon probably should have been playing the league a little bit earlier than he was. And I think that this is a good move for Kansas City. If there's I like Andy Reid's leadership. I like the idea of Eric Bieniemy being able to use him as a puzzle piece to figure things out. And when you're working with the best quarterback in the world, that's what signing Patrick Mahomes long-term does for you that you can't put a dollar amount on. It says right here, ESPN's Adam Schefter reporting, Gordon had multiple teams contact him and express interest in signing, but one of the attractions of playing Kansas City was making it a long-term stop and spending multiple seasons there. Why? Because you get Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, and apparently Eric Bieniemy, because he's too stupid to be a head coach, according to the rest of the NFL. Go ahead and keep thinking that, NFL. We'll keep him as long as you're stupid enough to not hire him. When you've got that three-man brain trust in Kansas City, if you're a free agent wide receiver, of course you want to go play for Kansas City. I mean, maybe you could say Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, maybe he's going to play till he's 50, like people have rumored that he's trying to. But if it's not Tom Brady, who else are you going to rather play for? It's got to be Kansas City. Yeah, a couple thoughts I have about this signing. Um, I was actually, when I first saw it, I'm like, why? Like, that's ridiculous. Uh, but the more that I thought about it, the more I warmed up to it a little bit. Um, a couple thoughts that I have, though. Number one, not only to me does it show what they think about the other receivers other than Tyreek Hill, but it also shows me how badly they miss Sammy Watkins. Uh, and Agreed. it's it's surprising to me that we're talking about Sammy Watkins being a, a guy that you miss in Kansas City because of how <laughs> up and down he was during his tenure with the Chiefs. However, they've not found a solid number two receiver to take attention away from Tyreek Hill. After what Tyreek Hill did against the Browns in week one, the defenses of the Ravens, 
And on Sunday, the defense of the Chargers zeroed in on Tyreek Hill and pretty much shut him down. And there's not a viable number two. I have desperately wanted Demarcus Robinson to be a star in the NFL for a long time. He's never materialized. McColt Hardman is really fast, not as fast as Tyreek. He's really fast, but he's prone to drops. Um, I think Byron Pringle has the potential, but he's raw uh, and, and unproven. So to me, I think the Chiefs are missing a Sammy Watkins type guy to take more attention away from Tyreek Hill. And then the other thing I think about is that Andy Reid is known for taking on projects of guys that have had problems in the league in the past with varying results. The most recent example is Le'Veon Bell, uh, who, you know, really couldn't find a place to stick around, had some controversy surrounding him, and unfortunately he didn't pan out in Kansas City. My only thought about Josh Gordon is hopefully, and I don't know what the terms of the contract will be, hopefully it's a low-risk low rewards or high reward signing for the chiefs where they're not spending a lot of money because Josh Gordon, while supremely talented has proven himself to have controversy following him wherever he goes. So I don't want him to be a distraction on this squad. And ultimately I hope that he's able to stay out of trouble and resurrect his career. Chiefs at the Eagles, noon on CBS, coming up on Sunday. Once again, the Eagles playing in Monday Night Football tonight at Dallas. One last piece of business to get to. It is time to go ahead and hit the music. Time for our Wichita Whip Around. It is the best of what we saw in Wichita sports this week that maybe we didn't have time to get to on the show. Tommy, we will start with you. Bring us your Whip Around story. Yeah, so I figured that you will probably, I'm guessing, have an update on high school football uh, around the Metro. Ding, ding. Uh, but I did I, I did see this story last week that was interesting. Um, and I don't know if you if you knew about this, Blake, but apparently there are there are new rules in place for attendance at football games in the city league. So beginning immediately, high school student attendance will be limited to students from the two competing schools and all students must have their student IDs available in order to get into the game. Apparently, middle school and elementary school students have to be accompanied by an adult, and students may not be dropped off at the game to attend without a responsible adult present. Apparently, there have been some behavioral issues, some incidents that have gone on at City League games, uh, I think from students from other schools that are trying to attend. And I know that the, the the City League is just trying to crack down on any sort of negative situation that can happen at one of the games. So I found that interesting, um, you know, and ultimately that's, uh, I guess, kind of the world that we're living in right now. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I feel like, you know, if, if you can't, obviously, you know, behavioral issues are never, you know, uh, something to be laughed at or scoffed up is scoffed at you know when i when i was in high school you didn't go to the high school football game to cause trouble you went there you know to hang out have a good time support your team uh, i do think it's kind of weird like how can you if they buy a ticket how can you tell them no you can't come in isn't that just discrimination i don't yeah i i think that they i mean they obviously want to limit it to students from just the two schools that are playing in the game. Uh, Wendy Johnson, who's the spokesperson for uh, the district, said her quote was, 
The concern is that there were young people that weren't from competing schools that for whatever reason felt it was a good idea to show up and bring behaviors that we aren't going to accept from any students. So uh, apparently security measures will still be maintained with Wichita police and security, school resource officers, uh, things like that to try to keep the keep the peace during the games. It makes me wonder if there have been some some negative uh, incidents that have gone on early on in the season. So are you gonna, are, is it okay for them to go and do that stuff at the game where they're a student at? Uh, anyway. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the good piece of news, though. People do need to know that. In high school football from last week, Bishop Carroll went on the road. They beat Dodge City 38-23. to Heights over West 54-20. North beat South. Or beg your pardon, South beat North in the Civil War 70 to nothing. Cape and Mount Carmel dominated Great Bend 42-7, and it was Northwest 56 to nothing over East. So boy, the Blue Ace is not quite for real this year. Not much change in the City League standings. Cape and Mount Carmel, Bishop Carroll are still 3-0 and 2-0 atop the league rankings. Then you've got Heights 2-1, West at 1-1, Northwest creeping up the rankings to 2-2. Three teams at one and two, east, south, southeast, and north, O oh, and three. Matchups. Are we up getting next ready week. for the? Uh, isn't I, mean, I know you're talking about matchups, but isn't the Holy War coming up here soon? It is soon, not this week, however. Okay. Bishop Carroll hosting Wichita North. All the games are on Friday this week. South is hosting Pittsburgh. Heights has got Andover on the road at Trojan Stadium. Hayesville Campus is going to be taking on Northwest at Northwest Stadium. Uh, Wichita West hosting East at Adair Austin Stadium on the campus of your favorite university friends. And Southeast is hosting Cape and Mount Carmel at Southeast Stadium. That is the wrap-up for the City League football schedule. Last segment of the show, any additions, corrections, or retractions here for the episode, Tommy? I just have one quick addition that is not relevant to anything we've talked about, but uh, okay. I don't know. I don't know if you've had an opportunity at all. I know we record the show on uh, on Mondays. Um, have you have you watched any of the Manning cast on Monday Night Football? I have the Peyton not. Manning, Eli Manning. So I've got it on in the background. Obviously, it's muted because we're recording the show. Um, but I've after we've been recording on Mondays, I'll, I'll usually turn it on, and it is awesome. Like I would this? almost rather watch. It's on ESPN two. Um, so I would almost rather watch Peyton and Eli talking about Monday night football than the regular announcers. Um, and they've got special guests this week, Nick Saban and LeBron James and a bunch of other people coming on, you know, it's all remote. They're all from home, um, you know, doing it, but it's just, it's, it's a blast. So I would highly recommend the Manning cast. Well, maybe I will try that out. Uh, what I did want to mention is that the Royals are in action for their last week of the season. Salvador Perez still su- stuck on 46 home runs. He is two off of Jorge Soler's all-time Royals record for a single season of 48. Next week, we will have our official Royals season wrap-up on the show. And I'm hoping that we got three more home runs for Salvi. Nothing against Jorge Soler, but if there's somebody who deserves the all-time home run record for a Royal, it is Salvador Perez. Yeah, totally agree. Um, Apparently, I don't know if you knew this, on this date, 15 years ago, the Royals signed Salvador Perez as a a 16-year-old out of uh, Venezuela. I can't talk. Um, But yeah, 15 years ago today. Wow. God, it feels like he's not that old. I mean, I guess if you signed him as he was 16, he's really still not that old. So that's good. I'd like to see a lot more of Salvador Perez in Kansas City over the coming years. That is our show. As we said, we will wrap up the Royals baseball season next week. We've got a lot to get to in terms 
of uh, college football. And will the Chiefs be able to turn it around? That's all coming up on a milestone episode, episode number 80 of the Cog Pod coming up next week. Like, share, and subscribe. Appreciate all the support. Thank you so much. Make sure you ring the notification and make sure you get notifications if you're subscribed to the podcast on the audio or hit the bell if you are on YouTube or like us on Facebook as well. Last piece of business for our beloved audio listeners. Tommy, please give them your Twitter handle. Yeah, you can follow me anytime on Twitter at Tweets from Tommy. The newly unlocked Tweets from Tommy. And I am, it's of true. course, at B.E. Cripps, B-E-C-R-I-P-P-S on Twitter. And the show is at CogPod on Twitter. So that is a wrap for this week. We'll see you next week on episode 80 of the Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's K-O-G-Pod.